hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is... Stupid answer. No. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Zack. Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> oh, right. Hello and welcome to episode 392 of the Stupid Cancer Show, The Voice of Young Enough Cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 20-year Young Enough Brain Cancer survivor, coming to you from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer, online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Mallory Rivera, Program Manager and Co-Producer of The Stupid Cancer Show, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. All right, it's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Got a great show, Rock versus Cancer is a featured documentary about John Grabsky III, a young adult musician diagnosed with terminal cancer who spends his last days making a rock album with legendary producer Steve Albini. Cancer may have claimed John's body, but it never claimed the character, dignity, or music behind the man. Here to talk about the film is Ashlyn Kindberg, the producer of Rock v. Cancer, and our survivor spotlight on young adult mesothelioma survivor and blogger Betsy Brockett. All right. Got a full house here. So many people. Hello, Mallory. Hello. How are you? I am delightful. Oh, wonderful. And Dr. Shapiro, the Shaps, Hello. Back, back from Yosemite. See. Si. Yeah? At a time? It was awesome. Yeah? It's so beautiful there. You know, Jess asks, like, do you work here? <laughs> They're just... It was a three-day trip. <laughs> no, it I'm was saying, a quick one. She's like, Sean's always away somewhere. Yes. You uh, make it look like you don't work here. It's a good job, though. Uh, but you do. I, I, uh, I, I, I vouch for you. In Thanks. case there was any any degree of of, of concern. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you're well. Good. And you're back in action. Yes. And uh, week three, Laurel Sally here. I know. Still here. Still here. Thank you for still having me. <laughs> so what's it been? How's, what's it been like for you? It's been exciting. I've met some great people. And it's just really exciting to get into it more and really hear more about the stories and really hear more about the people uh, who are changed and helped 
by Supercancer. It's really right. exciting. Something we could have always done a better job doing, and we're glad you're here to help us do that. Happy to be here. Yes, exactly. And Dr. Wimmer. Yes, yes. What are you a doctor of exactly? Whatever you want me to be. It's <laughs> <laughs> an open-ended question. <laughs> How was your... Uh, I was going to say 4th of July, but it was like 100 degrees, so it felt like 4th of July, but it, it was did. really, yeah, yeah. R- very hot, very hot. hot. That's a good description of the weekend. Yeah, yeah, pretty much just hot. Well, we had a very exciting meetup. We celebrated our friend Scott Slater's 10-year anniversary in Central Park. Yes, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was a lot nice. of fun. It was good a lot of newbies, too. A lot of newbies, too. Uh, it was nice to see some new faces. And um, um, Melinda Hood had one of her buddies from the Ullman Cancer Fund's Cancer to 5K program which we've talked about on the show extensively. It is a program where you can rehabilitate yourself through basically training for a 5K yep. over several months, and it's very effective, and they do a wonderful job with that. Yeah, it was pretty awesome having a, someone be pulled in through, through that program yeah. with Melinda. It was very nice. And we met um, two other young women. One of them was sick, and one of them came with her. She had um, undifferentiated soft tissue sarcoma of the thigh or some some I believe muscular so. and she was diagnosed this year oh no no i'm sorry last last, year. last fall uh but they they were telling me that hamstring of the she, hamstrings yeah yes. she finished uh her treatment and in celebration they went hatchet throwing yes only in new jersey what a great anger management strategy hatchet throwing hatchet throwing What's on the other end? What are you throwing the hatchet at? I'm not sure, but apparently it's also BYOB, which just seems like the most dangerous thing in the world. (laughs) Bring your own beverages and throw some hatchets. Concealed carry, also in Jersey. Jersey, man. (laughs) Everything is legal in New Jersey. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. So it was. It was really good. I um had a good weekend. My kids were hot. (laughs) It's disgusting. They're at that age where they start to kind of. They start to stink. They lose the baby smell at about five and a half, six years old. It's, it's the, And then it's, oh, God, what did you walk into? Then it's, why are you not in the bath every hour of every day? Anyway, it's exciting. And, uh, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, it was fun. Good times. Okay, Mal, let's, uh, let's get our first guest on the line. Betsy Brockett lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She was diagnosed with mesothelioma in 2014. She currently works as a writer and photographer freelancing and publishing content on her blog, Cured Life. Certainly an interesting name. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Betsy Brockett. Betsy. Hello. Wow, so much in that bio I have questions about. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. So mesothelioma, out of the gate, stigma, right? Yes. Lawyer commercials, infomercials, all sorts of, do you have mesothelioma? Just nonstop radio ads, right? Exactly. Yeah. Debunk that for us. What is it? How did you get it? What does it really mean? Well, there are several different varieties of mesothelioma. Um, and the one in, that affects your lungs is most closely tied with asbestos. But the kind I had affects the linings of the organs in your abdomen. And they don't really have a definitive link to asbestos. I certainly can't pinpoint any exposure that I've had in my lifetime. So at this point, it's just kind of unknown where it came from. Uh, so there is no ties to asbestos. I will not be getting a lump settlement, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been your blog, No Lump Settlement. Or Where's My Lump Settlement should have been your yeah, blog. Exactly. I know, right? <laughs> so how exactly is that diagnosed? 
Well, it all happened uh, totally by happenstance. I just woke up with pain in my abdomen or, you know, womanly parts one night and I felt fine the next day, but that day happened to be my annual gynecological exam. So I mentioned the pain and uh, my doctor and I had been working to kind of figure out why I wasn't able to get pregnant. Um, I had been struggling for a few years, so he took that, uh, you know, random night of intense pain as kind of a red flag and sent me across town to get an ultrasound where they discovered that one of my ovaries was the size of a grapefruit, inexplicably. So that's kind of how it all started. Then, you know, a laparoscopic surgery happened to take biopsies and eventually these strange, completely out of the blue diagnosis of mesothelioma came. So did they initially maybe think it was a cyst or something and waited like that? It sounds like it could have been anything and you had to wait. Yeah, there was definitely about a, a two to three week waiting period. They thought it might have been a cyst, which I had had in the past. Um, I had a cyst rupture, but you know they really kind of made it seem like cancer was the last thing that it could have been. But I guess that's how it happens. They never no, really expect that. No, I, I agree. I mean, it, it's hitting home for me a little bit personally because my wife had a dermoid cyst uh, taken out of her after intense abdominal pain that came out of nowhere, and it was the size of a grapefruit. And like, thank God it wasn't cancer, but it was terrifying. So I can personally relate to that crazy window of what the hell's going to happen next. Right. Yeah, it's 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 not a fun place to be. No. What were you doing at the time? I was working. Um, I was doing digital marketing and I was commuting about an hour each way into downtown Pittsburgh. I live a little bit northeast of the city um, and I wasn't really crazy about my job, so I wasn't too sad to to see it go and to quit. Um, but yeah, I was kind of in a, in a, not the best place in my life career wise or personal wise. So, you know, the cancer diagnosis just, just kind of blew it all to shreds anyways. So that is a young adult issue where you are not 80 and not retired and you have a life ahead of you and here you are giving up your career. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't really have any semblance of a career that I was happy about at that point. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think becoming a cancer patient was the easy part because it gave me a job that I, I knew how to do and what to focus on. But it was after all the treatments, you know, in recovery that I was, you know, plunged back into reality, into real life and had to figure out what I was going to do with myself. You know, I didn't really have a job to return to that I loved. Um, so it got a lot more complicated the farther along I went through it all. So what is like, what, what is treatment for mesothelioma when you're not 80 with asbestos? Well, I had a, it's called a debulking surgery, um, where they opened up my abdominal cavity and removed my ovary and fallopian tube and scraped the linings of all the other organs. Um, and the pathology based on that uh, surgery indicated that there may be more of the disease than they first thought. So I then went on to four courses of systemic chemo. Um, and that all happened in the summer and fall of 2014. So what is in, uh, Pittsburgh? <laughs> uh, in Pittsburgh is Besides the, uh, the steel town stuff, but where, is there any young adult support? Did you even know that there could be another young person with anything for you to n exist with? Um, no, I mean, the only thing that it really has, which was another, you know, case of happenstance is the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, which does have a mesothelioma-focused team. 
And uh, actually, the treatment that I got just this past February, the heated chemotherapy, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but UPMC is one of the only hospitals that does it. So um, I was happy that, you know, I was in a city that could offer me such great care and I didn't have to travel. But as far as, you know, connecting with other young adult cancer survivors, it's not really something that I've even embarked on uh, trying to do yet at this point. Um, but I hope to. Well, I, and the, this show, our entire mission, the, the, everything we do is really about cancer when you're not eight or 80 and how it's not, you know, necessarily better or worse. It's just very different. And right. this is certainly in alignment with that mission that we serve. Uh, can you talk more about how you coped with facing mortality and not having certainty and what were your anchors and did you're obviously publishing and writing and expressing yourself today, but where was that role for you during the kind of the oh shit months? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, I, I received the surgery and chemo in 2014 and then I had a year um, of clean scans every three months. And, you know, I thought after my initial treatments that this whole thing was a fluke and that I could push it all behind me, pretend that cancer never happened and just try to reassemble my life completely apart from it, which is why I didn't, you know, seek out other young adult survivors. I didn't really want to integrate cancer as part of my life, um, which didn't go very well. You know, I, I went into a pretty bad depression and really grappled with what I was going to do with myself now that my entire life had been reset. You know, my, my marriage suffered uh, and ended actually. And I, I moved across the country. I moved to Los Angeles for a time. I did a yoga teacher training. I just kind of was floundering for a year there in between um, treatments. And, you know, when I found out this past January that the cancer had returned, it was kind of a weird sense of relief that I was going to go back into this role as a patient, which I knew very well. It's a job I, I know how to do very well. Um, but it was also a turning point that, you know, when I get on the other side of this round of treatment, I'm going to do things a lot differently. Um, hence the name of my blog, Cured Life. Uh, you know, I, I realize the irony there that I have a disease that I may never really be able to consider myself cured of, but I can cure my life of a lot of the things that I had done wrong, um, you know, throughout my 20s. We also talk about how you could be vegan and a marathon runner and live what we as humans consider to be a, a healthy, balanced life and still get cancer. You you are right in that category. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm only very recently, you know, trying to uh, empower myself through the way I'm eating and living. I've transitioned to plant-based, a plant-based diet, um, which is not something I had done before. But, you know, doing uh, things like that just makes me feel like I'm at least a little bit more in control, at least of how good I can feel on a daily basis. Um, you know, I don't have any misconceptions that I'm going to be able to prevent it from ever coming back. But I wake up every day feeling great and knowing that I'm taking the best care of myself, which I wasn't doing before. So it's one way that I can feel better on a daily basis. Can we blame Cold Stone Creamery for that, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely one of the culprits. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I'm seeing here that you um, did a uh, work with a yoga teacher. So did that help you gain a more holistic sense of this balance you maybe didn't have prior to? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had always kind of viewed yoga as a physical escape. You know, it was a practice I could go into and, and focus on what my body was doing and not focus on what was going on in my head, which was a total mess. But the 
yoga teacher training that I did kind of, you know, blew the lid off of everything that I had thought about yoga. And I ended up changing the way that I thought rather than the way I was moving my body. You know, all the philosophy that goes along with it um, just brought a lot of peace into my life and helped me, you know, accept that I was diagnosed with cancer. It changed my life immeasurably and that I need to move forward in harmony with it rather than trying to forget about it or, or you know, brush it under the rug. So, yeah, it was life-changing to, uh, to bring that into my life. I like that you you uh, are very focused on fighting the fights you can win and taking ownership of the things that you have control over or that you are able to have control over. Yes. Uh, I can't help but want to go back to the fact that you were trying to get pregnant prior to, you know, just all of this happening. Did they even know that you were not 80 and had a uterus that could function before giving you chemotherapy? Was, was there a conversation in that mix about, hey, you're not 80 and you're trying to have a baby and cancer can kind of screw that up. Yes. Uh, before my very first surgery, I did go through uh, fertility preservation. Uh, that took about a month to, you know, harvest my eggs and we turned them into embryos, my husband and I. But unfortunately, uh, you know, when we decided to get divorced, we also decided to terminate those embryos. And then when the cancer returned, I didn't want to go through all that again. So I kind of made peace with the fact that for whatever reason, it just wasn't in the cards for me to have children. And uh, I'm okay with it at this point. Well, I'm, I'm kind of mixed emotions on how to respond to that. But I'm, I'm actually pleased that you were made aware of the opportunity to preserve your fertility and that you did go through the process. I'm sorry about the outcomes for that. But it is a testament to, at least from my perspective, the progress that... Many young women are not told. In fact, we just did a, a national study with uh, two academic centers on 800 women, and 13% were made aware of reproductive rights. So That's it. 13%. So you were, oh my you're gosh. one of the 13% in that scenario. So, again, we're slowly making strides, but it goes back to the, our stories that matter in, in a very different sense. Yeah, and that's why I kind of wish I had been open more with other survivors, at least gotten more, you know, psychological, emotional support because, you know, post-traumatic stress is a real thing. And I, I I, wish I hadn't made the decisions that I made after treatment, like terminating those embryos, because I just wasn't in the right headspace to even, you know, make those kind of decisions. But that's, you know, treatment is such a vast world that they're not really able to touch on everything that patients need, but... Well, it's yeah. it's lifestyle. It's not cure. And you know, I, I like that you kind of blended the two words together with your your blog, Cured Life, because it's it's how you choose. We say get busy living, but it's anything you wanted that to mean. But it, it's what you're choosing to do to own what happened to you as best as you can. Exactly. So, would you share with us some more about these? I, I would say quality of life. We you know, this academic say survivorship. You know, what are you facing now? Because you're you're writing very powerful pieces and you're out there with your story. Uh, what's important to you now? Well, what's important to me is uh, living a more kind of quiet, simple life. Um, I, you know, focus on the relationships with my family and uh, with my significant others. And I just try to focus on the things that make me happy, like writing and uh, making art. And I have a giant garden and I love to cook and just kind of getting back to the 
the basics and eliminating all that noise from the outside world that, uh, you know, wasn't doing me any favors in terms of the direction I was going. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at today. I'm uh, in reading some of your posts. It's, it's interesting to have your personal life experience transfer onto just global sentiments and, and how the perspective of having gone through this as a younger person really sheds light on perception and perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's I I recognize it's have, it has to be very difficult for anyone uh, in the past couple of weeks to comment on what's happening in the world, and it certainly has been difficult for me to put it into words. But I did feel a sort of parallel with you know the experiences I've gone through over the last two years and how it's opened my eyes, and you know I I felt sort of successful in what I was able to say, and I've gotten some good feedback on it. So I just implore everyone to you know explore. Uh, their those feelings and trying to wrap their head around what's happening and what they can do better today, uh, you know, with everything being the mess that it is. I mean, I just it's almost like the tags on your posts could be a poem by themselves. Oh, well, thank you. Abdominal surgery, mesothelioma, meso warrior, plant powered, you know, women's health. <laughs> it, like these are words that wouldn't normally go together in the same tagging. It, it, it's uh, you've done some really incredible. Um, you made some great choices with your story and, and how you tell it. Um, I, I kind of feel really bad that you didn't have the resources and support of a young adult cancer community out there. There are now, now that you know there is one, how can we help you and how can we help you make sure that the next you doesn't have that same degree of isolation? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I think, you know, you have to be open to it. I there Nothing could have been done differently, I think, in the past. You know, I was so stubborn about not wanting to get involved with this sort of thing. But, you know, I think when people are ready to join a community like what you all are offering, you know, you just have to embrace them like you all have done with me and, um, you know, spread that light to others. And when they're ready, hopefully they'll get involved and, and get the help that they need. So... But, your your one of your recent posts is called uh, menopause at 30 and yeah. uh we 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 have obviously our community is is uh, you know full of women that are in menopause under the age of 40 because of cancer mm-hmm. you know what can you tell us more about your conversations with other people that are outside the bubble how do you disclose that how is that discussed there's so many different ways out there to therapize it internally but you're going to invariably have it pop out at some point that you don't want it to. And it, it gives you a label and it's awkward. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of an open book where uh, I will just let anybody know anything about me at any time, you know, regardless of how well I know them. And I don't really have much shame. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah, that kind of explains that. But, you know, the symptoms that I have are are visually apparent at times. You know, I, I will redden from the hot flashes and start sweating. So it's noticeable. It's, it's not something I can really hide. Um, but you know, it's, it's something that my mom and I can bond over because we're sort of in the same place now, weirdly enough. Um, so I just try to, you know, embrace it with, uh, you know, a sense of humor as best as I can. And, and, you know, hiding it doesn't make me feel any better. So the, as open I can be, I think the, the better it can be. I'd like to read a quick excerpt from your piece, from that piece, Menopause at 30. You okay. wrote, Despite the struggles I go through regarding my hysterectomy and menopause, they do not rule my life. I won't allow it. 
There is much life to be lived and much to be happy about. As more time passes, I find the moments of despair becoming fewer and farther apart. Because of what I've sacrificed, I'm able to be healthy yet again, and I have been granted the freedom to pursue my goals and dreams. That's that's that, that is poetry. That's amazing to well, have that you. courage and to, to be able to put those words together, having gone through this. Uh, you're you're wonderful. You're incredible. And well, thank you so much. We need to start like a Pittsburgh something now. You're, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're I'll head it up. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know if you're interested. We're having a conference in New York City on September 17th, Saturday. Um, it's our regional uh, convention, about 150, 200 young adults. You're welcome to hop on out to New York for the weekend. We'd love to meet you and see you. And uh, open invite. That sounds fantastic. I'll, I will put it on my calendar for sure. All right, Betsy Brockett from Pittsburgh, PA, diagnosed with mesothelioma in 2014. She is a rock star blogging at curedlife.com. Betsy, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you. All right, and now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for a meetup alerts and never miss a meetup again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own stupid cancer meetup, visit stupidcancer.org slash meetup. All right. There are events happening in Denver and Las Vegas. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Now you can get instant anonymous peer support on your mobile device with Instapeer, our free mobile app for iOS and Android devices. Create your account and privately message with fellow patients, survivors, and caregivers just like you who've been there and walked in your shoes. Join our online mobile community of thousands right now. Visit instapeer.org. We've launched a newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org slash feed. If you've not yet checked out the Stupid Cancer Community Forums, you're missing out. Join thousands of your peers in a safe and meaningful online environment to get connected, swap stories, learn from one another, and foster the young adult cancer conversation. With hundreds of topics, discussion groups, and issues to choose from, it's a great place to get busy living. Learn more at stupidcancer.org slash community. Support our programs and services by heading over to stupidcancerstore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new stupid cancer gear. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And that is your stupid cancer news. All right, our main segment here, Ashlyn Kinberg is primarily a voiceover artist having worked with such clients as Wells Fargo, Google, and Fiat. She studied musical theater at the University of the Arts in Philly, earning her BFA. After graduating in 2011, she moved to Los Angeles, where she met her husband. Ashlyn is the producer of the upcoming documentary, Rock v. Cancer. Please welcome Ashlyn Kinberg. Ashlyn. Thanks for having me. No, very excited. There's there's such a, uh, I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years. I'm a 20-year survivor. There's what fascinates, and I'm a musician, so what fascinates me the most is how the arts and pop culture are bringing to light the stories of our community in a way that they really haven't been able to do before, let alone get the attention that they deserve and make a difference. 
to people and changing perspectives and raising awareness. So while I'm sorry that this project is based on someone who was lost to cancer, it's mm -hmm. just another amazing example of how powerful our stories can be in media. I agree. I agree. Yes. So let's first talk about John Grabsky. How did you know him? How did you meet him? And we can get into his story and sure. his choices. And it, it, it's really inspiring. So uh, my husband, Jacob, he is a really big fan of the Mark Marin podcast and also a really big fan of Steve Albini, who, if you don't know, is a uh, a record engineer producer out of Chicago and has worked with really big bands, um, one such band being Nirvana. So my husband was listening to Mark Maron's podcast in which he was interviewing Steve Albini. And Mark asked Steve, what are some of the most influential things you've worked on or things that have influenced you the most or that you've really been jazzed about working on? And Steve um, could have said a number of very famous albums and having worked with really big bands. And instead, he chose to talk about John Grabsky. And in the interview, there was probably a five, ten minute segment where he just talked about um, meeting John via email, John really wanting to make an album, reaching out to Steve, Steve being really touched by his story, and how... John impacted his life for the better and he will never be the same having met this man and worked with him. And um, my husband was really inspired by that, reached out to Steve to see if uh, he knew if there were any documentaries in the works about John Grabsky's story and him having worked with Steve Albini. And uh, Steve didn't know of anything. And he actually then put us in touch with John Grabsky's family. So uh, myself and my husband, we never met John, unfortunately. We did not have the pleasure of knowing him. Um, but now, after the fact, having heard about his story, we were able to get in touch with his family. And um, they were really excited to, to have someone want to tell John's story to uh, the greater public. So let's start by telling his story. He was diagnosed uh, nine years ago. And he was a lover of music. He was a musician. That was his, mm -hmm. his life, his passion, his career, correct? Uh, so it wasn't technically his career. It was something he did more on the side. But I'm sure if he could have made it his career, um, he most definitely would have. He, yes, was diagnosed um, with cancer and then actually beat it round one and was cancer-free for a few years. Uh, and then when it came back, he was told that it was a terminal diagnosis this time around. And he decided, you know, I love music so much. It's just been a hobby of mine. And I know now that my days are numbered, but I don't want to live um, just kind of counting down the days. I want to make my life matter and just do everything that I've always wanted to do and not look at the at the clock ticking but think I have today how am I going to live the best that I can today so he decided in loving music and never having made it his career that he was going to just focus on his music in his last days and weeks and months and however, however long he could uh, have and so in that um, he had always written a lot of music and posted it to things like Bandcamp and YouTube. And um, he lived in upstate New York and was part of a band. And they played a lot of local gigs. 
And he decided that with all of the solo music that he'd written, that he really wanted to make an album with Steve Albini, who was his hero. Um, and that had always been kind of a, a dream of his, one that he didn't really know if it would really happen. But after this terminal diagnosis, he decided that it was going to happen. And he was, he was you know, bound and determined to make it happen. So uh, what's really lovely about the story is when he got in touch with Steve uh, and just was like, hey, man, I'm you know, this solo musician and I've, I've not made an album before, but I really want to. I want to make it with you. I live in upstate New York. I want to come to Chicago to record uh, at your studio. Steve was like, yes. I want you to come. Uh, I love your story. I love your passion. I love your drive. And also, I love your music. You know, Steve was really a big fan of John's solo stuff. And so he was like, please, please do come and record with me. And considering the circumstances, Steve actually waived all fees and people donated to help get John across country from New York to Chicago so that this dream could become a reality. So let's go back to John, the person. How old was he in 2007, and uh, where was he at the time? That is a great question. Unfortunately, I'm not entirely certain how old he was in 2007, off the top of my head. Um, I do know roughly that he was in his late 20s. Um, and he passed when he was 30-something. Um, but... At the time, 2007, he was just kind of kicking it, living life, um, again, upstate New York. He, I don't know, unfortunately, much about him at this point, only because the facts that I do know are very much centered around his time uh, near the end, and especially his time with Steve Albini. And uh, right now we are in the funding process uh, to fund our film Rock Versus Cancer, which would tell John's story more in depth. Um, and so until we have all of our funding, we haven't really had the chance to really delve deeper into exactly who the man was uh, behind John Grabsky. No, and that, that's fine. I was just curious. But I, I, we hear the words bucket list all the time and the, the general... Uh, go to where your brain is like oh the 80 year old that's you know just trying to get their <laughs> stuff done and you know the bucket right. list for when you're you know I, I just read online he was 33 and he passed away the bucket list at presumably 32 years old you know that that shouldn't a shouldn't exist and but you know he didn't really want to go skydiving or jump off the roof or do these things he wanted to double down and go out on his terms and right. can you talk to us more about his uh, final album The Strain yes so The Strain, it's a, a really awesome concept in that every single song on the album really is his way of getting out his feelings about having cancer. So it's, it's really his uh, love letter to life, as he put it, and his hate letter to cancer. And it was a way for him to get out all of these emotions and, and just everything that he was thinking and feeling that isn't so easy to put into words and it was a way for him it was it was a therapeutic way uh, to kind of get out his anger but also get out his just love for life and you know just everything that he was experiencing and this music um 
it would best be described as like a kind of grunge rock. So it's very hard. It's very heavy. And uh, so the album, The Strain, on the album, it's John and then his younger brother. And just the two of them did all of the instrumentation. And John is the one that's singing as well. And it was just really an awesome project because prior to making this album, you know, John had written a lot of solo music, but never had the chance to really um, play it because the band that he was in, Chibahawk, they did their own stuff. And it, it's not quite as uh, grungy, if that makes sense, <laughs> um, if, if that's a musical term. Um, and so the strain really, he was able just to kind of let loose and uh, just be free and really show who he was as a musician. And um, the thing as a musician, he came from being a drummer. So the drumming on the album is really unique and superb and just kind of shows his flair, especially. And um, it's if you're if any listeners would be interested, it is available on Bandcamp and uh, proceeds from any uh, purchases of the album do help uh, go into a patient fund for people with cancer. So. Well, again, it's it speaks so much to how our stories can really live on in the medium of pop culture. And I say pop culture where this is a documentary film, but it's not a, a cancer, cancer, cancer. Someone's dying. Here's your, you know, your Sally Field starvation pets, you know, infomercial. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like I go back and, and even in 2007, that was around the time when Will Riser uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and he and Seth Rogen started to write the fifty fifty you know mm-hmm. screenplay, which which they they sh- shot around for a couple of years. But that was a great film that talked about young adults and facing cancer, and it raised awareness that you know someone that isn't eighty can get sick, and someone that isn't eighty can still live their life on their terms, and that we can choose to do what we want creatively to express what that means. Uh, are you uh, uh, familiar? Uh, so I'm reading here in the notes that the album "The Strain" uh, was uh, ever true. Uh, critic said uh, it's one of the finest albums of a genre in a decade. He, yes, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like a lot of things, so that's pretty impressive <laughs> for him to say that. Uh, are you familiar with some of the tracks on the album? Um, I've listened to them, but I, I can't say that I, I know them by heart or anything. Uh, what kind of questions might you have? No, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I can relate to him on a personal level because I am a musician. I was the concert pianist and I was given six months to live and I lost the ability to play piano. Mm -hmm. So I managed to rebuild my life and not knowing if I would live or not, just started to play again. And I wrote music that was very different than the music that I was trained to compose because I had new stories to tell and new life experiences to tell. Um, I'm curious to understand this may not be an answerable question here on the show (laughs) right now, but you know, how did his uh, creative path change between 2007 and 2011 and looking at the albums and the music he wrote or performed or composed prior to what kind of story does that tell? Well, from what I know about him musically, he always uh, was kind of into the harder rock from a very young age. Um, uh, Like I said, 
Steve Albini loved him even prior to 2007. And uh, a lot of the bands that Steve recorded with, and even um, Steve Albini, the bands that he had been a part of, they kind of all influenced John's uh, musicianship and the music that he wrote. So The Strain, the album The Strain, um, I think it's just more finely honed because he had more time to dedicate to this album in that, you know, there wasn't a job that he was doing aside from making this album. Um, But I think it is very similar to other music that he had written in the past. But I do think that it has more of a maturity to it content-wise just because um, where he was emotionally and mentally at the time, especially uh, the lyrics and things like that, um, there was just more to take from uh, when writing the songs, if that makes sense. So the film is called Rock v. Cancer. We're speaking with Ashlyn Kinberg. Uh, and where can people learn more about the, the the film itself? I understand that you are currently crowdfunding to get it off the ground with proceeds to benefit us, Stupid Cancer, and the Sands Cancer Center in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. So people can learn more about us in a few different ways. So we are, yes, we're currently crowdfunding at yourfilmfund.com. We've partnered with a nonprofit, so all of the donations... They are tax deductible. And like you said, once the film is made, uh, any proceeds from the film are going back to helping people uh, that have cancer because really that is what John's heart was. That's what he wanted. And we were so struck by his story and his heart. And we thought, what better way um, to kind of let others know about John and, and kind of give him a legacy and a way to always be giving back to others. Um, and you can also learn more about our film. We have a Facebook and a Twitter. Um, if you just go to rockvs, so rockversuscancer.com, um, you can find our Facebook and Twitter there. So final question for you, and I understand your husband couldn't join us. What, what does it mean to you guys to produce this type of documentary film? So, uh, yes, uh, my husband, unfortunately, couldn't be with us. He's the director of the film, and I'm his producer, helping hand, partner, and everything. Um, For us, we don't look at projects if they don't strike an emotional chord with us. And for my husband especially, um, having been the one to discover um, John's story and really say, I I want to make this film, um, it's just such a personal, inspirational, crazy, delicate, you know, there are all of these amazing things about John's story. And my husband and I, we have never had cancer. You know, we don't have any close family members or friends that have ever um, had cancer. However, just in the little bit that we know about John and the little bit of research and having talked to his friends and um, family just a little bit before we've even, you know, begun making this film. uh, We were so impacted by his story and suddenly aware of, oh, wow, you know, you know, we know that cancer exists. We know that people suffer from this. And and that's something that is, you know, very can be sad and upsetting and all of these things. But to hear his story and it was suddenly like we were being 
impacted by, and we, we didn't even know him, but it was like, we knew him suddenly. And like, it was, uh, something personal. And so to be able to share his story, because when you make a film about someone, um, that's such a personal thing. It's like, you're getting to know them through watching that movie. And so for us, it's a way to share with people and to, to kind of have them see, um, and live through his story to, to, to understand um, what so many people go through when they are diagnosed and just kind of uh, another slice that, of life that most people don't even have any clue about, if that makes sense. No, it, it does. I feel like I'm not being very articulate. But. No, I, well, it, 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 it's, we, 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 we talk all about how young adults can and do get cancer and that is still not yet and may never be and i can't be held responsible for whether it is or not going to be a publicly understandable concept Mm -hmm. so the more programs and pop culture products and media productions that are out there that tell that story and make that point that cancer isn't just for kids and grandparents anymore the more valuable it serves our interest in our community and i can't wait to start promoting and doing screenings with you guys once the film's up and running. Well, thank you so much. We're we're really thrilled to begin, and uh, hopefully we will be able to begin soon once we obtain all our funding. So, We've been speaking with Ashlyn Kinberg, the producer of the upcoming documentary Rock v. Cancer, which goes over John Grabsky's story as a young adult musician turned cancer fighter, turned acclaimed album <laughs> musician, <laughs> album producer, uh, lost his life in 2011 at the age of uh, 33. He will be missed, but he is going to be memorialized in perpetuity thanks to your amazing work. Ashlyn, thank you for joining us on the Stupid Cancer Show. Thank you so much for having me. All right. All righty. That's our show. Now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show, the 392nd episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank our guests, Betsy Brockett and Ashlyn Kinberg, for joining us on this episode of The Stupid Cancer Show, broadcasting since 2007. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer. Online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from the Chemo Deck in New York City on behalf of my team here at The Stupid Cancer Show. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you right back here on the next exciting podcast of The Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks.